HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country, to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jordan Salcedo, founder of Ramona and Bellis Wines and director of wine special projects at Momofuku. We'll talk to Momofuku. We'll talk to Jordan about wine spritzers, wine, women in wine, social media, Momofuku, and a bunch of other stuff. We'll also taste the Bellis Rose and some Ramona for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Jordan Salcedo is the founder of Bellis Wines and Ramona Artisanal Wine Coolers. She's the director of wine special projects at Momofuku and is a master sommelier candidate. Jordan is a wine and spirits best new sommelier and one of wine enthusiasts top 40 under 40 tastemakers. She's worked in some of the finest restaurants in New York, including Danielle, Veritas, Eleven Madison Park, and The Crown. And now she makes wine, too. 
Welcome to the Grape Nation, Jordan. Thank you so much, Tim. It's an honor to be here. I've been looking forward to having you on. I think it's a great way. This is our last show for our spring-summer season, and I think we have the right person and the right juice to slot in for that. I am very happy and very touched that I get to be here for this. So I want you to... Just give us uh, give our audience a little context about who you are, because you've had a pretty colorful life in wine, and you are still very young. So tell us about your journey in life and wine that got you to the present, which is really juggling three things: Momofuko, Bellis, which is a wine company, and Ramona, which you know we'll get into is a can spritzer. So buzz through it quickly, okay? Because right. there's other stuff I want to talk to you about. Okay, we'll do the the uh, the express train okay. through the um, through the old wine past. Um, very quickly started in writing, so I, that's what well, I thought. Well, first I you're to. from grew up in Denver, Colorado. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up okay. in Denver, Colorado. Um, moved to Philadelphia, went to college, lived in Italy. For Haverford College. Haverford College, okay. exactly. You are good. Philosophy major. Yeah, waste of English. Time. But that's philosophy. okay. Yeah, totally, okay. totally. Right. Although, as my dad said, it teaches you how to think. Right. He said, as long as you come you away. You think, therefore, you are. Yeah, or okay. you think, therefore, you can get out of whatever bad, right. <laughs> bad experience you, you create for yourself. So college brought east. College brought me east, and then uh, college brought me to Italy. And then after... Why? A semester abroad? Semester abroad, okay. yep. Studied in Florence and loved it and loved... Loved it, and also, uh, well, that's that's another story. But yes, that was also the first time um, that I started drinking wine that was not Franzia or wine coolers Good place or to start. totally or Natty Light or you know something like that. So. <laughs> Uh, so moved back and I knew I wanted to live in New York. So I moved to New York right after that and worked at a couple of places. One of which, uh, got me into, I was organizing these wine tastings, which I always thought was really interesting. Um, but the, the final job that I had before moving actually back to Colorado, the job that made me realize I loved restaurants was working as a hostess at WD 50, right when it opened. Um, Very cool place, Wiley. Wiley's amazing. Yeah. And he, he has a donut shop. Now. He has, and there's such good donuts. <laughs> oh my Deuce goodness. Donuts. Deuce donuts yeah. and coffee. It's so good. Um, and he's just really thoughtful and cerebral. And mm. so I, I thought, okay, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing enough to commit to anything, but I do know I love this world. And, and seeing him in as, a, as an example of like somebody who chose restaurants and was doing it well and doing it thoughtfully and like crushing it in this way that I never knew um, could be done in restaurants. Moved back to Colorado. Uh, started writing for the Denver Post. I sent, you know, some sample writing and food, wine, or food. general. Yeah, you were focusing on cheap eats columnist. Okay. Yeah, so I did that. I was working, you know, some odd jobs, and then I also went to culinary school. Uh, got a scholarship to culinary school. Johnson and Wales. Johnson and Wales. In, exactly. Was there one out in Colorado? Yeah, there okay. was in Colorado. So was I, that a good experience? It was. It was great because at that point it was before there were blogs, which I know sounds right. crazy. That well, like I'm basically a dinosaur. So it was before <laughs> blogs were as relevant as as the traditional press. And I used to read the New York Times uh, every week, and I would like wait. Uh, for Tuesday afternoon when, like, the Wednesday review would come out. And I I remember Amanda Hesser was writing at the time, and I loved her writing style, and I just felt like that's what I wanted to do. Um, And so I went to culinary school because I felt like the thing that I could offer 
especially in a place like Denver where, you know, there were people with opinions, but nobody writing about food actually had ever worked in it. Um, and so that was sort of the direction that I was going. That perspective. Yeah. And right. you, you had to take wine classes in culinary school. You had to take um, like a beginning one. and then So it, that's a, what, a, a year program, year, a little less? Exactly. It was a year program called Garnish Year Degree because it, I think it's longer if you didn't have a degree, but because I had already graduated from Haverford and I had my undergrad, then uh, it was just one year. And as I finished that, you had to, um, in order to graduate, you had to go and cook in a restaurant. Isn't there a name for that? Uh, yes. It's called an externship, which okay. is not intuitive. Everyone says, what's and an externship? And it's not stage? It's like a stage, but it's like a, like a stage oh. could be four hours, whereas an externship it's is like... A longer commitment? A, a longer commitment. Okay. Exactly. So you did that where? I did that at Danielle, and that's how I ended up at... Jesus, <laughs> right out of the chute, right? Well, I think by that point, I knew I wanted to get back to New York, and I knew that I wanted to do it well, and that I wanted to um, yeah, have, have a firmer footing and a firmer foundation than I did when I was living in New York the first time as a hostess at WD-50, where I knew what I liked, but I had no idea how to get there. And it just, sometimes I feel like I don't know, I don't know like the next five steps, but I can tell that the next step Well, is, there's is obviously critical. steps, because so far you're talking about culinary school and cooking, and yes. as we get to where you are now, I mean, there's a turn. So when does it turn and why? It turned as soon as my culinary... Uh, I guess it was like the very end of my externship. The last thing that I got to do at my externship was cook at uh, the La Polée de Neige with ah, Danielle. Which um, is in the La Polée of Colorado. Exactly. Right. You are so you are oh, so on top of all stop. this stuff. A little smaller, though, which was good for you. Because the one in New York, you probably would have had a heart attack. Totally. Yeah. So it was like uh, Danielle, um, the chef uh, Olivier, who was at DB Bistro at the time, um, Ryan Hardy, who was the chef at the Nell. Now he's my husband's business partner at Pasquale Jones and Charlie Bird. Um, and a couple other people, but Danielle said, and I guess the other thing was like in my free time and the days were long when you're working in the kitchen at Danielle, but I would always come home and I would read, um, uh, Clive Coates's Code Door. I just wanted to read as much as I could about Burgundy. And a couple of times Danielle would be, you know, he'd come home from the lounge and he, or he'd come into the kitchen from the lounge after service had ended and there would be, you know, some incredible half bottle of wine left and he would always share it. And, nice. um, so nice, so nice. And so, um, and were I, you drinking stuff that he brought out for the first time or you had been exposed to some of it? Yeah, some of it I had been exposed to and some of it it was the first time. Um, And I had just started or was just about to start dating the man who is now my husband, um, Robert Bohr. Now, was Robert at Danielle then? He was not, no, but he was was at Crew. Crew, which was after Veritas. Which was, well, they were competitors. They were, were, right. They were. So after Danielle, I ended up working at Veritas, but he was at Crew during this time, and the wines that they would have open regularly were crazy. Crazy collection. Crazy. And now looking back, I mean, those wines are insane, and you can't track them down, and (laughs) if you can, they're 20 grand a bottle. But at the time, it was like, oh, this is a really beautiful wine. Well, let's tell people what La Pole is. La Pole is like a Burgundy festival for a group of people that pay to get in yep. and it's an exposure to some of the greatest wines 
which is one of the last opportunities to taste what we just talked about. Totally. So you were cooking, you know, for that crap. Yes. All right. So we got to move quicker. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. So Danielle, Danielle, Danielle said you exposed could, you to wine. He did. And he said you love tasted with you. Yeah. No, he just said you love this. You know everything about this. You clearly uh, like care about this in your time off. You should work harvest. And was uh, that an influence, a thought? You know, it, it provoker. Was, it was a dream, but I, not one that I would have ever entertained. But as he had credibility when he suggested that, like maybe this guy's onto something. Yeah, or like, wow, how does that even happen? Okay. And so, anyway, through that through that trip, I lined up harvest uh, in Burgundy, and that was 2006. So that was the first time I worked harvest. And uh, anyway, switched over to the front of the house at Danielle. I was offered a job in the kitchen, and could tell at that point that my interest was wine. Um, and, but I just didn't know what part of the wine world made sense. Um, but I knew that I wanted to sort of throw myself in as much as possible. So, um, Danielle, busboy, you know, lounge server, et cetera. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot. And then, and then worked harvest and that was game changing for me. And, and when you talk about harvest, I mean, total to date how many harvests have oh you done oh my goodness every harvest i've done at you know some harvests have been longer than others but every year since 2000 and, and patagonia patagonia italy, italy a lot of france italy, france yep burgundy. so it was burgundy 2006 through 2012 with the exception of 2011 which is when i uh we were opening crown so i didn't so we, you would fit in the harvest between always and yeah. tell me about the remaining things you did yeah so i guess that harvest just was it just helped inform my opinions about wines on the floor or uh, it was it made it it added an extra layer when i was talking to guests who were curious about the region or this vineyard versus that vineyard that kind of thing um so that was just something that got built in um after daniela i worked at veritas and then my first sommelier job was at nick and tony's out in east hampton and then that led to working at 11 madison park there was a regular customer at nick and tony's who said you have to work for ushg and then i had an interview there right after working harvest in 2007 in burgundy um and that led to emp which was which was like wine graduate school it was like wine service graduate school in a, how many years were you there i was there let's see uh over the course of four different years but not four consecutive right. years so i was there uh what oh, was the longest stretch a couple of years a year ish okay. yeah yeah um and let's see yeah i guess just over a year probably so you did that i did that. but you did other things i did other things yeah so i that's when i had the idea of starting bellis and bellis had been in my head for a while or something like Bellis because I just felt like the wines that I got to drink and open and serve and pour every night were amazing. And people who were these brilliant friends that worked in other industries would be like, oh, this Ravino you opened, uh, can I find that pretty easily? And I'd be like, actually, no. All right, so we're going to come to Bellis a little later. Yeah. Oh, you know, okay. I want to get into the story oh, got it. there. Okay. So. Let's just finish the Jordan Salcedo life chronology. Okay. So you worked the crown. Was that a Graydon Carter thing? Or no. no the, John DeLucy. John DeLucy. Who was exactly. Graydon's original Yeah, chef. exactly. Um, you did that. Did that. When did you get to Momofuku and anything in between I missed? Let's see. Um, there was guilt for like a, a okay. split little Patrick second. Patrick Capiello. With Patrick, fun yeah. Fun guy. He's such a fun guy. He's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I got to work he's with Patrick. He's been on the show. He's yes, terrific. Yes, he's so great. He just opened a place in Philly, so he's... No way. Yeah. 
Walnut Street Cafe. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay, good for him. So then you get to Momofuku. How? Uh, all right, so I had just finished working at Crown, and I had just decided, you know what, I'm going to stop working in restaurants for a little while. I, I guess throughout this course of this whole time, what I was What year? Always, Can you Yeah, me? this was fall of 2012. So the Bellis thing was happening before, which I said we'll get to, yeah, or yeah. we'll not thought of it. Yeah. All right, so tell me Momofuku. Uh, so Momofuku was right after Crown, and uh, I decided I was not going to work in restaurants anymore. I was going to focus on just the, my MS for a little while and focus on um, on Bellis. And uh, and Wells Guthrie of Copan had, had asked uh, for Robert and I to come out and help him pour wines at this dinner because David Chang was coming, and he was very excited, but he was uh, surprised that Dave himself was going to be there, and would we Very help cool. choose and pour wine? So, <clears throat> of course, we said yes. Um, I had been spending some time in California in the vineyards anyway, just checking up on a couple things. And um, and anyway, within like five minutes of getting there, Dave was just hanging out, and we started talking, and he was like, well, what are you doing these days? And I was like, oh, I'm actually, you know, I'm taking some time off of restaurants. I'm really just going to focus on Bellis. He talked you into it? Yeah, he did. He said, well... Um, uh, you know, I think I might need someone for the programs. Um, and, you know, we, we really want to focus on Moff Pesh at first because, you know, there's this, like, physical space that we can, um, where we can right. have a, a great seller. And, you know, I see more and more that wine is important and that wine matters. And, by the way, I think it's delicious. And so we started chatting. And uh, How and long did it take you to decide? Uh, we let's see. I think then I went. Then we. I mean, that was in California. So within the next week or two, I think that was like November, or December. I think that was December. Uh, within the next couple of weeks, I went to. Um, I went to meet with uh, Dave and then his business partner at the time, Drew, and a couple of key people from the team, um, and then that led to a couple other meetings, and then and then. Uh, I guess for me, I just felt like it was important to be able to keep Bellis and not have to give that up because I... So I, you made that part yeah, of the I, understanding. Yeah, and I just Good said, I think, I think it's valuable. You know, I'll be out there doing harvest, and what I've seen in the past is that that only makes me a better teacher when it right. comes to training the team and talking and to guests. And that was about four and a half years ago, right? That, yeah, so that's, that's crazy. Right? Crazy. That's so crazy. All right, so that brings you to current. That brings us Momofuku, to yeah. and you know you have Bellis, and we'll talk about Ramona. But I want to ask you a bunch of other things before we get into that. I'm curious about why sommeliers want to make wine. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you equate that to chefs wanting to own a restaurant? <gasps> because there's a good handful of good people that are making, you know, Raj Park. Totally. Yeah. What, 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 why do Psalms make wine? I mean, is that the dream? What was your thinking? Well, I know plenty of Psalms who are like, I would never want to make wine. I think it's okay. the stupidest thing ever. And for me, my grandfather used to make wine in his basement in Waterbury, Connecticut. Italian? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. old Italian crappy basement wine? Oh, totally. And I never knew him. He died when my dad right. was 13, so I never met him. Um, but that was part of the family narrative. So I don't know whether it's genetic or I, I actually didn't even know that until I had ended Did up Did your in dad work. get a kick out of it? Like he'd light up when he talked about it or he, he talks about yeah. So it was a cool thing in his I think so. youth or whatever. I think so. And it was, um, it was, let's see. 
yeah, I guess for me, I didn't know what I was missing until I went over and worked that first harvest. So working harvest, uh, and I guess coming from the chef background, like there's something very, um, very, I think educational about being able to create or make something because then you, you learn by doing, you learn by either doing something well or doing something poorly, like writing a wine program or making a by the glass list or whatever it is. But there's an act of creation even if you're just helping somebody else. So I just felt like there was only upside to working harvest. A, as like a Colorado girl that got me out of the city for a few weeks. And B, I then came back with like these stories that you can't read in a book anywhere. And these techniques that you don't get to read in a book or you, they don't make sense in the same way that they do when you're watching the decisions be made in real time and, and just seeing sort of who pays attention to what details and then what, what does that result in, in the finished wine? Um, so I think that that was always fascinating to me and, and I don't want to jump ahead to Bellis, but, um, I guess the idea of Bellis where it started has shifted a little bit. Um, but where it started was wanting to be able to make a wine that offered the same value system. And I guess this part has not changed offer the same value system and, uh, and level of integrity as some of these great wines of the world, but at a, a friendlier price right. point using maybe land that's not as famous or, or, you know, there are a number of factors. Great winemakers. Yeah. Great areas. Totally. And not it's, expensive yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So I guess your sensibilities, the things you were doing, you probably worked as many or more harvests than anyone, not in the winery business, all that influenced you to... It wasn't just a vanity thing. It was no, the it, next it was logical not. thing for you to... Yeah, and I would say it was intended to be the opposite of a vanity thing. So in right. addition to you know, making the wine, we also we donate a percentage of proceeds to different organizations. Well, we'll get to that okay. brand by okay, brand cool. and all that. Okay. I don't, okay. You know, because there's a lot to talk about. Okay. Um, so now we know why you make wine. Um, I would bet you that if you brought in five sommeliers they have five different stories totally you know so that's cool all right the other thing and i always wrestle whether to ask this question or not because at this point it's i don't know how much of a subject it is but you're more than just a woman sommelier now i mean you started we have your history and you became a sommelier now you're not a woman in the wine business you're a woman in the business of wine and i always wonder in 2017 are women still perceived and treated equally in the wine world, either on the floor or in business? I mean, do you... It's such a... How much are you willing to talk about that? Um, it's a great question. I think, I mean, the only experience I can speak to is my own, and I feel like I have been very fortunate um, when it comes to... And I think, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, you're going to hit challenges in life. And it's a matter of sort of like looking in the mirror and saying, how did I impact that that outcome that is not the outcome that I wanted? And how can I how can I shift my mindset or behavior so that that outcome is the outcome is different next time? And I think self-awareness is important. I would love to say I'm the most self-aware person. I'm sure that there are many examples where but I'm it's not, important but to you to be aware. Yeah, self-awareness is, is important. Is. I totally get that. Um, and I think I think, you know, working hard. We always, you know, everyone in New York works hard, but I think um, that was something that 
um, that I, I, it was a, a value system that was important to my parents when we were growing up. And my grandmother, um, my grandmother, who's my, my dad's mother, she was a mother of five. And then her husband passed away when her young twins were 13. So, I mean, they were 13 by that point. They weren't right. babies, but she walked into the Timex factory or maybe it wasn't Timex. She walked into whatever factory it was. Watches. Yeah. It was a watch factory in Waterbury, Connecticut. And she said, um, my husband died. I have five kids. They all have to go to college. I need a man's job with man's wages. <laughs> and she Very started cool. working two jobs wow. over time by herself so that she, and she still cooked dinner for everyone on Sundays. And I just, she's a, for sure a personal hero. And I just think of that and it's like, okay, no matter what's hard or whatever, you know, whatever, uh, difficult, I'm I'm looking at there's nothing that will ever be as hard or that I've ever encountered. So that, that's your approach. So the good news is there's no real gripes or negatives. You know, New York's a good place for women and wine. New York is you know, a good place for diversity. Union Square Hospitality yes. Group, half their psalms, you know, are yes. women, which is a great, you know, yes. town and all of yes. that. Um, and, and I'm glad to hear that. But it does go back to what you said, which is how you as a person handle it and approach it and hard work and you know all of that stuff's very important so there's a good chance i may never ask that question again um all right the other thing that i wanted to ask you and this is uh i think something that's been important to you is i want to get your take on how social media has had an impact on you your career and your career has been you as a brand but also developing real brands like Bellis and Ramona and Ramona is a very striking packaging you know in your face type brand and it's a per- perfect social media um, type product so tell me the impacts and how you use it yeah um, and do you think it would be the same without it it's so interesting I think we are definitely in a moment now where social media is a tool that can be very helpful um, I remember the first it was actually when I was starting Bellis and somebody told me I should read Gary Vaynerchuk's book uh, Gary's a dear friend he's amazing did you I, read Crush It I or read another Crush one it. Okay. Crush It had just come that, out that was the map for setting up social media. Yes, and I forget who told me to read it. It was somebody who you know randomly suggested it and I bought it right away. Um, but it made an impression and he was very smart in laying out his argument and I just figured, okay, why not? And at the time, Instagram didn't exist and I think it was like Facebook and Twitter. Right. Um, you realize how much in the infancy these things yeah, are. Yeah, it's so crazy. So that got you inspired. That did. And then I would say like I began to really take Instagram seriously right after working, starting to work at Momofuku. Um, because it's For a, the wine program for, and the restaurant yes, and the, you and the business and yeah, all that. Yeah, and I think, you know, Dave does it really well. And so yes. I was just sort of around it in a way where I hadn't been before. And I just saw how it, it could be very powerful in spreading awareness about different things. And so, I mean, to your point, Ramona is something. Watching Ramona on Instagram, Instagram has been very important for us um, in a way that I never would have expected. You put Instagram at the top of the list more than Twitter. It's not yes. a Snapchat thing. Yeah. Because you could do video and you could do yeah, the still pictures. Exactly. And, and I think Snapchat is amazing. But uh, to be honest, once Instagram came out with Instagram right. story, then it just... You're not the only person who thinks that. <laughs> do you think... And I, 
I guess you could say Ramon is a bit of a sensation. Do you think it would be the sensation it is? I mean, I know that because you told me you sold out. Sold Do you out. think it would be the sensation it is without social media? That's a very good question. Uh, but we definitely have entire states asking for it because they've seen it on social right. media. Right. People use it for discovery. They do. Like, this is cool. This looks cool. Totally. And it so looks the different an- than things than other things that are out there. And yeah. So the answer is probably not. Probably its exposure and popularity is, is due to social media. And the audience matches... I think so. Uh, yeah. I think our audience spends a lot of time there. I think, you know, we we have stories that, you know, people who I would never call our, you know, Ramona target market, um, but they like it anyway. Or like, you know, sometimes it's like people's great aunts are like really fans of Ramona. Right. They don't know what Instagram right. is. But. Are you, you know, you have these two wine companies, you have the moment. Are you disciplined with your social media or do you wake up and go, oh, I forgot to post pictures from last night i mean do you do you approach it seriously i mean be honest i mean i definitely would say more than any like with ramona yes so with ramona we have a schedule and we sort of try to think about like oh it's national like national lazy days coming up so we have a post for that try to relate to all of that there was like national sunglasses day so that matters for ramona's instagram but for my own personal it's just sort of like do I feel like posting this or not? There's no, there's no um, algorithm to it. Right. Um, and we'll give you all the social media handles, awesome. you know, towards the end of the show. Um, let me get personal for a second. It's no secret that you're married to Robert Bohr. You talked about it. You know, truly one of the most prolific wine guys around. Yeah. And now, you know, a very prolific restaurateur. I'm just curious, you know, you probably went through the period of courting each other and falling in love and blah, blah, blah. But at some point you settled down, you move on, you had a, you have a kid and all that. When you look back about what influence he's had on you in the wine silo, I mean, did he change the way you look at wine, taste it? Did he shift you from crappy wines? To, what, what was the influence? Oh, good question. I mean, his influence was was massive for sure. Um, I would say. But specifically, I mean. Specifically, okay. So specifically when we were just starting to date, that's when he had crew and the wine world was at the peak. And so uh, we would, he would open bottles of, I remember it was like, you know, one of our early days. And he opened a bottle uh, of Henri Jaillet Brulee that was, <laughs> you know, 20 plus years old at the time. And um, and it was extraordinary. And it was this incredible opportunity to taste wines that that are very hard to get a hold of. And they were hard to get a hold of back then, too. But there was no. So he exposed he you did. to and, that. And. and- and so I would say that... Would talk about the magic and the glass type stuff? Yeah, and I would say, like, because of those conversations, I had smarter questions when I was working in Harvest in Burgundy or when conversations with friends would come up. Or So those that exposure made me... he's a heady guy, he's right? He's a very heady guy, yeah. and he cares, and I never wanted to be the dumb person in the room, and so... So he <laughs> elevated you... Yeah. To his level. That's a good influence. It was a great influence. Or he would say, like, well, these are interesting books to read. Like, these of the 10 books on Burgundy you could read, these are the four that, you know, I would read first. And, like, this is the one that you should start with because it matters the most. Um, And I would say, in addition to that, 
um, that also, yeah. So I like the education that I received through just exposure was incredible. Um, but also I would, I don't, I think it was important to me that I not be defined in the same way because we were two different people with two different points of view. Right. As it should be. Yeah. Now, before we get into Bellis, Ramona, I'm just curious. You're a mom now. Do you drink less now because you have a kid? Oh, that's a good question. I, I mean, do you like you just don't whip one open and drink it because you know you got to put the kid to bed? Such a good question. Has that influenced and changed how yeah. much wine you drink? Um, not how much wine I taste, but how much wine not I tasting because you could drink. Yeah, probably so. If I'm being honest, probably so. Um, yeah, I'm sure that it does. However, now that he goes to bed, what we what we do is, we'll, like, if I go out, it'll be at eight thirty. You so have it's time like, to yeah, put him. So down. you you it probably affected you at the beginning, and now you're back into a routine. Yeah, and all for of sure, for sure. All right, we're talking to Jordan Salcedo. Jordan is the founder of Bellis and Ramona, and she is um, the wine person over at Momofuku. All right, so let's talk quickly about Momofuku. You're there now. That was your wine job. Um, your tenure there is longer than anywhere else. For sure. Yeah. Why? I mean, what's... Dave, I have to say, Dave is incredibly gifted in so many ways. And one thing that he's done so brilliantly, or that at least I that resonates very strongly with me, is he gives the people that he hires, he empowers them uh, to do what he initially hires them to do. And so that's how you build your, yeah. the employee before the customer. Yeah. If you're happy, you'll make the customer. I think happy. so. That's a Danny Meyer. Thing yeah. Too. And I would say, so I would say like, it's definitely phrased different. I think he thinks of it as, yeah, like, I'm not saying yeah, that's yeah, his, yeah. but there's a umbrella that, totally. yeah. Where it's like, okay, if I hire someone who, who knows what they're doing and I give them the tools to build something that's a great, good manager. yeah, then they'll, then they'll do it. All right. So, He's about food-wise as unconventional as he can get. If you look at each restaurant, I mean, in the offerings, I mean, it's crazy, even as original stuff. You know, you've been responsible for selecting wines and pairing and all of that. I mean, was it a challenge? And also, I know that the Momofuku, is it Momofuku Co., the wine list is sort of set up in a different way. So so talk about the fact that you're subjected to this crazy food and you got to match wines. Yes. What, it, what, was it French-centric, Italian? I mean, what's the obvious things that match with that type of food? Uh, so it's such a good question. I would say more stylistic than a particular country. Okay. Um, but a lot of times, and I think the, the misconception is that wine is hard to pair with Dave's food when, in fact, it's... It's not at all, as long as you have food or wine with acidity, which almost... So acidity is a key there than other places I think where so. the food's a little more finessed or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's like light on its feet and delicate and nuanced. And so I think you want something that's sort of that's able to dance around that and really highlight those flavors. So if I said, okay, I, I'm David Chang. This is my type of food. I think, you know, I know we need wines you know that have good acidity 
What are the two, three regions or wines that come to mind? Is it Riesling? I mean, what, what, Riesling's what's your answer? Like don't, don't agree with me. Yeah. What's your answer? Okay. Well, I think, uh, I think champagne. Okay. Always great. Yep. In fact, we did an all. So a lot of champagne offerings. Yeah. We did at Co back when it was in the old space, we did an all sparkling pairing menu. I like that. Um, what else? Let's see. Burgundy, Burgundy. both white and red. Okay. It's always a good choice. And um, what's the outlier on this? What's the one that would surprise me? Oh, I mean, things like, uh, maybe like the Savoie or like okay. um, Alto, uh, let's see. Alto Adige, yeah, were you going to say? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, cooler climate whites or even things like Chenin Blanc, if you're mm-hmm. just going to make, taking, you know. Good white broth. for that. Yeah. Um, Good choices. Um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Bellis. I want to talk to you about Ramona. I want to subject you to our wine list, which is a handful of questions. I'm curious on your take. And then I think when we come back, you know, we're also going to end the show with our weekly wine sip. But I think we should get some stuff cracking by now anyway. Love it. So we're here with Jordan Salcedo. You're listening to The Grape Nation. We'll be back right after these words. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market believes in seeking out local, fresh, and seasonal food and in supporting local farmers, makers, and the community as a whole, economically and agriculturally. Whole Foods Market believes in food that is vivid and colorful, fresh and full of nutrients. Food that connects you to your body, the seasons, and to nature. Food that helps you do more, sleep better, and wake up happier. Found in over 400 locations throughout the United States, Whole Foods Market only sells food that meets their standards, which means no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or sweeteners, ever. Whole Foods Market believes in real food. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more. All right, we're back. We are back with my guest, Jordan Salcedo, founder of Bellis and Ramona Wines, uh, the wine person over at Momofuku David Chang's restaurant. And I want to talk to Jordan. I want to talk to you about your two wine projects. Let's talk about Bellis first. Um, you mentioned earlier it was an idea that was about 2011. Just quickly, because I wouldn't let you get into it. Why did you start Bellis? Yes. Okay. So um, I wrote down the idea on a plane back from actually the I think it was the Palais in spring of you know 2010 probably. Um, but the idea was why isn't there or what if there could be a sort of wine that adhered to the same value system as these great wines of the world that we got to open every night in the restaurant floor. And that sommelier sensibility, being exposed to so many wines at so many price points, you realize there was a void? Yes. Okay. And I would say now that void is a much smaller void because I think the wine market caught up. Um, but, you know, this was starting back in 07. 08 and then it was like 09 010 when this really when this idea started to crystallize um, but it also felt like 
I got to work in these incredible restaurants and I had access to, you know, so much luxury in the, you know, on the floor every night. And, and that's not real life. Um, that's, that's everyone's escape, but yet that was my real life. Some people eat out two, three nights a week at those places, but the rest of us want a good bottle of wine at home or... Exactly. And so, um, and the other thing, I guess I was just coming, uh, getting familiar with the, with blind tasting. And so I felt like the thing that was very powerful for me was once I understood how to describe what I liked in a wine or what I didn't like in a wine, then that could lead me very quickly to... Translate, transfer that to what you want to put on the table. Yeah, because so many friends would say, why? you know, hey, I really like that Raveno. Can I have a bottle? Or, oh, how hard is it to find 85 Dujac Bon Mar? Uh, oh, it's very hard. And by the way, it's not in your everyday budget. So. Right. So Bellis has, what, five, six different offerings? Five different, uh, five different wines. Five different wines. Yep. And tell me, I know them, but tell our listeners what countries yes. okay. you go to to bottle these wines and i think that has something to do maybe except for california with keeping the price down yeah for sure So you you make wines from uh california as you mentioned and italy You make a couple of rosés yes we make two rosés with michael cruz although going forward we're only going to make one with michael cruz okay uh, lucky to get michael i know he's He's a rock star yeah he is he's amazing yeah uh so you're looking for the other wine to work with someone else no we don't want to make a still rosé okay yeah, at I least not in California. I think so. Michael's going to make the sparkling rosé exactly. with exactly. So what is it? Ultramarine and his pet nest. He has those. Yeah, yeah. He's, you, you got the right. But guy. we felt like we wanted to do a sparkling uh, domestic bougie Cerdon because there's nothing domestic. So bougie b u g e y exactly Cerdon c e r d o n. What is that? Yeah, so it's a sparkling rosé. Uh, it's a small appellation in France in the Savoie, so foothills of the Alps, limestone story. And the grapes are, in, you know, in, in the area, it's a gamay with a little bit of Poulsard. Nice. And this idea, actually, I made the first one with Wells Guthrie. He had Poulsard vines, and he wanted to collaborate. And so we're like, okay, we, we don't... Wells Guthrie had Poulsard in California? He, yeah. He actually... Jeez. They're suitcase clones from Jacques Pouffinet. Wow. Yeah. That's and, a good story. And so he was like, we should do a still Pinot Noir together. And, and I, I don't feel like I have much to add to that conversation. And so we started talking a little bit more and it's like nice. hey, why hasn't anyone tried so that's that? california mm-hmm. you're gonna you have a still and a sparkling you're gonna go to sparkling yep then you have a few wines from italy yes exactly. tell me what they are okay so we have the white caldera it's falangina from c-a-l-d-e-r-a yep. caldera yep. is white the grape is falangina okay yep. That one's named after Mount Vesuvius, which okay. is this, you know, very powerful, violent volcano that... Um, so the the soils are vi- volcanic or whatever? Yes. Okay. The volcanic tooth soil and some limestone, and it's pretty diverse up there. Um, and it's pretty high alt- or high elevation. Um, and we have a great winery partner over there. And um, the idea... You is- sought out winemakers and partners. Yes. You tasted yes. and you knew people, exactly. tried to get people on board. Exactly. That's how you partnered with exactly. these guys. Exactly. Okay. And it was always important to me to make sure the grapes were grown organically or without you know chemical pesticides right. and herbicides. 
Um, yeah, and that we. So guys have been growing grapes without pesticides, yes. herbicide, whatever, for years, yes. but don't necessarily register or label themselves. Exactly. But they okay. Um, all right, so that is Caldera mm-hmm. from Campania? From Campania. Okay, yeah. and then a couple more things from Italy? Yeah, and then uh, the Frappato. So Frappato from Sicily. Frappato is the grape. Frappato is the grape. Yep. White or red? It's red. It's, I knew that yeah. just from my audience. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So Frappato <laughs> it's, is, it's, I call it like Sicilian Pinot Noir. Okay, it's got that little lighter body. Yes, okay. and very fragrant and perfumed. Um, it, like... Uh, Pinot Noir is thin-skinned, and in years where there's maybe a little bit of bunch rot or anything like that, Frappato is uh, the grape that is the most affected, and historically it was only reserved for the the royalty or the nobility, um, and then the dregs were sort of left behind for everyone else to get to blend with Nero Davila, which is a much right. hardier... Deep, dark, ver- brooding. Yeah. What? Okay, so that's from Sicily, mm-hmm. and then... You can't go to Italy and not make a Tuscan wine. Totally. So you make what? Yes. So that's where it all started was in Tuscany. Okay. Um, So we make a Sangiovese. uh, It's mostly Sangiovese with uh, Chili, Jolo, Canaiolo, and Colorino. in, uh, let's see, in the village, the vineyards are in a village uh, called Montaione. Right, and which our, is near what, Montalcino? Or? Yeah, no, it's like um, like if you take Ponzano, or, it's sort right. of like a midpoint, but farther west, okay. uh, between Florence and Ponzano. Okay. Um, and we, our partner there is a guy named Michael Schmelzer, and he is amazing. He nice has, Italian boy. Yeah. Michael <laughs> Schmelzer. His family is German, his wife is American, uh, but speaks fluent fluent Italian and they uh, live with their two daughters in uh, Ponzano and they um, yeah just amazing people so going forward you're going to continue to make the Sicilian Scopello, the Campanian Caldera you're going to do the one sparkling wine, the Tuscany Girasol add or delete anything or kind of go with that for now I think go with that for now okay. we'll see we'll see right. maybe we do a still wine from Puglia or something we'll keep like everyone Estelle posted yeah. um, and there is I, I don't want to leave Bellis without talking about the fact that you've put a charitable aspect to the brand just tell me quickly what that is yeah so um, so I guess it was just going back to that working at fine restaurants all the time and then my sister who's always been an inspiration for me she's a couple years younger but she runs an NGO called Noma Gaya she has her PhD in epidemiology, and she she's just um, incredibly committed to making the world a better place in whatever capacity she can. So um, I would see her, you know, make change with water rights in Jordan or fight on nice. behalf of workers in uh, Peru and uh, Belize, you know, for sugarcane farming conditions and that kind of thing. And so it just felt like uh, we might as well be able to give back in some capacity to organizations that we believed in. Um, and Girasole was our very first wine. We so you don- did some net proceeds donated. Yeah, nice. with the Toy Birch Foundation. Um, she had been an inspiration for me. I think it was important to see this woman who... Um, who had a liberal arts background and, you know, went to school in Philly and hadn't really been focused on 
you know, her her industry all her life and then totally crushed it. And she was supportive when I had nice. this idea and it just felt like the natural thing and to do. And then other, the other wines yeah. you've done, other yes, charitable exactly. Donations. So Scopello, the, the Frappato, we donate to my sister's NGO, Nomagea, nice. that pushes multicultural, uh, multinational corporations to respect human rights. And then uh, the Caldera, which the label was designed by Claudia Wu from Cherry Bomb. Right. Um, she's so talented. Who does a show here. Yes, yes. Exactly. Yes. And so she and I sat down and we said, well, what do we, what should we make our, what should we make the focus for Caldera? And we both decided that if there isn't a planet, then no converse, no other conversation is relevant. So we might as well focus on that and we donate to Earth Justice. Nice. So kudos to you for that. Well, thank you. That's a nice thing. All right. Let's talk about Ramona. We don't have a ton of time, so let's buzz through everything. So you started Ramona in 2016. We talked about this a little before, but tell my listeners, what was the inspiration? How did Ramona come about? Yeah, Ramona. And I think we should crack. Yes. Benny, will you crack a can and uh, you and I could share a glass? You hear that fizzy Ramona can? All right, so what was the inspiration? Okay, the inspiration, I guess a few things. Uh, the main one was just like wondering whatever happened to wine coolers, uh, remembering them. Why, did you have like a past of just getting buzzed no. on wine coolers as a teenager I, I or something? I remember the first time, because I'm not a beer person. I've never okay. really found, like Natty Light was the drink of Haverford College. Uh, so <laughs> so I remember. <laughs> Some mainline beer, that is. <laughs> And uh, and I just I think at some point somebody brought uh, something of some wine cooler and it was definitely from in in my opinion at that time it was more delicious than Natty Light and so and then I forgot about wine coolers and it came up I think it was like a conversation Talia Bayoki and I were chatting and we we're like whatever happened to those and then uh, and then that that sort of thought and nostalgia led led to the realization that it. You know why? Why not just try and try and make this? By this point, I you know had a few vintages of Bellis under my belt and figured you know we could get you had some, your sea legs. We had our sea legs and figured we could find some good you know, organic. So Sicilian it was only wine. a year ago. Yeah, it's been on the market a year plus type. Not thing. even a year. No. And you're having a heck of a season with it. So what is Ramona? Uh, you know, I did a little research, and if I'm right, it's some crazy grape, Zabibo, or no? Mm-hmm. What is a Zabibo grape? All right, so uh, I think it, yeah, so Zabibo, Zabibo. Zabibo. It, it is the same as Muscat of Alexandria. Okay. Which uh, is harvested dry here. Um, and, uh, yeah, we did a whole bunch of tests initially. We we're like, we'll do it local. Different It'll be grapes, wines, uh-huh. areas, and all of that. So and you put some thought into what the final of, blend is. A lot of thought and a lot of different testing. You know, it started off in the kitchen and, and you know, like experimenting with different kind of grapefruit and different other flavors. So when you crack open a can of Ramona, what's in it? Mm. So you have white wine, wine. Zabibo. Yep. Keep going. Yeah, and I guess going forward, we're tweaking that a little bit. Um, it's going to be uh, white wine, and then we're going to add a little bit of um, a red wine from Sicily as well, so that we'll get our color that way. Um, but then also just natural grapefruit flavor, natural ruby grapefruit, and a little bit of organic cane sugar. Okay. Um, and then we carbonate it slightly. Um, this, now, does this can we're drinking have any red wine in it or not yet? This one does not. So this is from the actual grapefruit. Okay. Um, All right, so that's Ramona. Um, 
Um, I'm just curious. There's more canned wines and spritzers in the last year, it's you know, crazy. than before. Why do you think this segment blew up? Uh, such a good question. Because when we we released Ramona over Labor Day last year, and there were like two or three other canned wines on the market. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you like, don't know what other people are doing, and then it blows so up. Funny, yeah. But you know, like we talked about social media and, you know, your presence in the wine market, mm-hmm. you know, you've had a great launch. All right. So that's Ramona Wine Spritzer. Um, we'll talk about where it's available. We don't have a ton of time, so we're going to buzz through the rest of the show. I want to subject you to our wine list. It's about five questions. Don't dwell on them. Just answer them. And the first question is, what are you drinking now? Are you tasting things, trying them? Are you and Robert trying stuff? Yes. For work, for home? Yeah. What my, is it? My new thing is that I actually, and I'm, I borrowed this from Guillaume D'Angerville, which is how okay. he ended up with his Jura estate. But whenever I go to a the, restaurant. Uh, he makes a Arbois Pelican. Yes, yes right. exactly. Okay, so what are you drinking now? It, I, I tell, I say to the sommelier, I would like you to bring me something. Usually it's white, white because, or if I'm drinking rosé, then that's another thing. But, um, but I say to the sommelier, I'd like something white. And it can't be from Burgundy. Okay, so you're looking at whites from anywhere. Yeah, and, and is it that has to be seasonal because it's summer a little, or yeah. you just want to get deeper into whites? Yeah, Both. no. I mean, I, I would say I drink plenty more whites than reds, generally normally. speaking. Okay. Normally, would you say Robert drinks more reds than whites? No, he probably really? also okay. drinks more whites than reds. All yeah. right, good answer. What is Jordan Salcido's favorite wine and food pairing? Oof. Yes, champagne, specifically Facsimile from Jérôme Prévost. So it's, okay. it's rosé. We will post that. Uh, along with uh, fried zucchini blossoms. Great answer. Great with any fried food. Yes, totally. So, But zucchini blossoms, that's a first. Yeah. You know everyone says muscadet and oyster, champagne right, right, and oysters. Right, right. So that's refreshing. All right. So you work at a restaurant. Your husband owns and runs restaurants. So get out of your comfort zone. Your favorite wine restaurant and our bar outside of those. Mm. Pasquale Jones would has been people's answers, you know, before you and Charlie Bird. So we know they're great wine and food places. But if Jordan doesn't go to those mm. places, give me a couple of people that are doing it right. Great wine service, great wine selection, yeah. good food to compliment. Yeah. Give me one or two in New York. Okay, in New Without York. Without Incriminating any? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and just because I think it's it's always hard to like take your restaurant and move it. And I, I feel like if people have not been to EMP at the beach, they are doing an excellent job. EMP it's- is closing to fix their place up, and they opened a place out in the Hamptons. Yep. EMP Summer Place. That's what you're alluding to. Yep. I think like the. I'm lucky to get in. <laughs> you can get in. You okay. Can, you can even go for like All a right. glass of wine. Okay. Uh, they. It's so that that's a good that's a good summary answer. It's a good summary. Answer. Let's see. I mean, Nomad is part of that same family. Okay, so Nomad, good enough. Yeah. Um, Jordan's favorite all-time wine. Do you have mm-hmm. one that you could peg? I mean, or if it's not the one, yeah. what's one of the no, ones? No, I mean the the wine that I would say is one we spoke about earlier. It's like an obnoxious thing to say now because it's not a wine that I come across with any sort of frequency. But that wine that I got to try when we were dating in our early days was I'll give a high and a low. So Go ahead. favorite high line would high wine would be that 1980 Jaillet Brulee. Okay, and that was a magical wine. Uh, favorite low wine. Like ten dollars or less. Oh, got it. Uh, Sangiovese, uh, Fori Strada, Sangiovese, and Tetra Pak. 
Wait, what's Four Estrada? The maker? Off road, yeah. Oh, off road? Yeah, so it's Spell that. F U O R I S T R A D A. And I would say that wine got me thinking outside the box and like. They could do it right for the price. Yeah. And my next question, and this just isn't for you, I ask everybody, and you should know, and I'm going to qualify it. I ask people the best wine around 15, 20 bucks. Ben here is going to a dinner. His friends are thoughtfully making a nice meal. He wants to bring two, three bottles of wine. He's not going to spend more than 15, 20 bucks. So I'll answer it first, then you answer it second. Because the Bellis wines are basically priced 20 to 30 bucks or less, Mm -hmm. closer to the 20, mid 20s. So any of the Bellis wines would make sense. But what else can you think of red and white? Yeah. Okay. Just one red, one white? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So Mick Craven of Craven Wines, he's doing very cool work in South Africa okay. with old vines. He has a claret that's great. His Shenan is spectacular. C-R-A-V-E-N, you said? C-R-A-V-E-N. Mi- yeah. Mick or Nick? Uh, Mick. Like Mick a, Craven. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mick Craven. So Craven Wines, those are delicious. Great, great record. And I would say I'm going to do two because the other one that's sort of in that same camp is the Joma Wines, J-A-U-M-A. From? From McLaren Vale in Australia. Australia. Yeah. Okay. And those are really fun, delicious, thoughtful. And they're priced 15 20 bucks. Yeah. I think they're like 20 21 All right. So we'll post those. And I'll also post the uh, Bellis lineup, which certainly that's fits, so you know, that bill. That bill and all. And then red, I didn't give you a red. Punta Crena, I would say, is amazing. P-U-N-T-A? Yeah. C-R-E-N-A. From? From uh, Liguria. Okay. Liguria, Italy. Yeah. Okay. Kermit Lynch wine. All right. All right, Jordan, we're going to wrap up. Every week we taste a different wine on air. I promise you for our weekly wine sip, we taste the Bellis La Vienne Rose, a still rosé. This is the still, right? This is the still. Which we're not going to have anymore. They'll no, be sparkling. Yeah, so a still rosé with an interesting grape blend from Mendocino. Yeah. There's all kinds of cockamamie grapes totally, in here, right? Totally, totally. Um, what, tell me some of the grapes. Okay. Um, Cunoise, Old Vine Cunoise, Alicante Which, Boucher. C-O-U-N-O-I-S-E. Exactly. Did I get, you know, you don't exactly, even know how to spell exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> what else? Uh, Syrah, Petite Syrah. Okay. Alicante Boucher, Morvedra. So it's a terrific blend of interesting California wines. Are all those from Eagle Point or are they yes, from all? they're okay. all from Eagle so Point. So one vineyard in Mendocino is growing all those crazy mm-hmm. grapes that nobody ever heard of. Mm-hmm. The wine retails for 20 bucks and up, right? Exactly. Um, and it's available. Available at better wine shops. Yeah. Your crappy wine shop's not going to carry exactly. it and all that. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's take a quick evaluation. It's got a very nice coppery pink deep, right? Yeah. No, and we're in this like lovely lighting in here. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dark. Um, yeah. The nose, quickly. What do you get? The nose. Mm-hmm, like rhubarb and like strawberries. Okay. And like hibiscus flowers. Interesting. The mouthfeel is medium. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a thin wine. It's mm-hmm. you know you wouldn't expect a rosé to be unctuous, but it's got a nice mouthfeel. Tell me what you get on the palate. Do okay. the does the nose carry over? Mm. For me, it does. Uh, when we were making this wine, we wanted it to be a rosé that didn't just belong in summer, that it could... I, I agree with that. It could carry through to like a roast chicken. Like a band old tempeh. Yeah, you could drink it exactly, anytime. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, so give me some palate descriptors. 
Palette descriptors, yeah. Okay, so I would say for me, there's definitely like like ripe cherry here, and there's some strawberry rhubarb again. Some red fruits. Red for fruits, sure. like even some red flowers and some white flowers. What would you pair? Mm, what would I pair? I mean, I love having this wine with roast chicken. Roast chicken yeah, is great. I know that's a boring answer. No, no, no. We all eat a lot of chicken. Lot of chicken. What else? Um, Give me like an a, a cheese plate. Like sometimes just cheese good and with crackers. a cheese plate. Okay, I like um, that. What else? Peanut butter and jelly. I feel like. Okay, this, this I like that. that. Now Ramona is a white wine with grapefruit. That's just a fun dr- wine to drink. But if you had to pair Ramona with food. Yes. Barbecue. Um, yeah, I mean, at sure. the beach, sandwiches, anything, right? Lobster rolls. Lobster rolls. Pork buns. It's good with pork buns. There you or go. Fried chicken sandwiches. Yeah. It's also good if you if you want to mix it. Sometimes, like Robert, for example, pours it into a glass with a shot of, of chocolate tequila. Milk? Oh. <laughs> a shot of tequila. The Ramona in tequila? The Ramona in tequila, yeah. I didn't know he was that wild. The, the I Ramona thought he was more Pum- reserved. No, not at all. He's from New Jersey. Oh, okay. That explains everything. <laughs> so am I. Um, all right. So that is the Bellis uh, La Vienne Rosé, which next year probably look for a sparkling rosé exactly. made by Michael Cruz, mm-hmm. which would be a home run. Yeah. And the Ramona sparkling wine in the can. All right, Jordan, we're going to wrap everything up. If you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. We'll post Jordan's wine list answers and our weekly wine sip choices on the site, all the Bellis wines, the Ramon, and all that stuff. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby, Twitter at BenRuby, and check out our new, beautiful, gorgeous website, www.thegrapenation.com you'll see a beautiful picture of Jordan you'll see all her choices and any background Jordan where can we find you on social media let's talk you personal first Jordan Uh, at Jordan Salcido Jordan Salcido J-O-R-D-A-N S-A-L-C-I-T-O exactly Instagram Twitter yep Uh, Facebook yep okay and let's talk about brands Ramona is at Drink Ramona. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Twitter, Instagram, all that exactly. stuff. Exactly. And Bellis Wines. Is at Bellis Wines. B E L L U S Wines with an S, right? Exactly. Twitter, Instagram. Now, if I wanted to learn more and go on the uh, websites, it would be drinkramona.com. Drinkramona.com. If you go on in the next two to three days, we're actually we're upgrading it, so we're making it more beautiful. Okay. So you might get a little page that directs right. you to our Instagram, but otherwise, but be go, patient. Back. go back and on Bellis. Bellaswines.com. And, you know, I've been on the sites. You could get descriptions of all the wines, what's available. You can buy it and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And are you at Momofuku from time to time? Yes, I am. So if you're at Momofuku, are you at what, Co or different ones? More at Co. Okay. Yeah. Look look and ask for Jordan. She'll turn you on to some good wines. Sometimes Sambar. Sambar has a really fun program. They've they've been putting a lot of... uh, 
of, of focus on the list. And it, yeah, it, the teams there are all amazing. It's obvious because you're there, there's a very astute attention towards mm-hmm. wine. So, you know, if you're at any of those, see if Jordan's around. All right, I want to thank our guest, Jordan Salcido from Bellis, Ramona, and Momofuco. I want to thank our engineer tonight, sitting in, David Tatashore, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thank you so much. Thank you. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.